Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Fellow conspiracy realist, as we said earlier this week, we're doing a couple of extra episodes. Uh, we went and went and did a um, cavalcade of podcasting team ups with our pals at Lava for Good, and we didn't ask them about cryptocurrency, but maybe we can get to that when we have them on for interviews. Absolutely, that's coming very soon as well. But for now, let's get to cryptocurrency part two with Jonathan Strickland, where we talk a bit about the nuts and bolts of coins such as Bitcoin, the more popular ones, uh, the advantages of the technology and some of the flaws in the system that have really kind of borne out over time since these episodes were released back in 2018. Yeah, let's see if we predicted anything. And I, I, I think we got kind of close. Let's get to it. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. It's good to have you back. Hmm. 
Yes, agreed. They call me Ben. We are joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant. Most importantly, you are here. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Cryptocurrencies part two. I just followed through with that because it rhymed. It had a bit of a flow. But we are not alone today. No, we are joined again with our longtime friend slash nemesis of the show, uh, recurring guest, who I think may have been on, uh, may have been the... Um, Guests with the most appearances on stuff they don't want you to know. Yeah, we've got a jacket for you, a la SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really fun. We get to go to the uh, join the Five Times Club. We, yeah, yeah, you exactly. get to meet Steve Martin, but Excellent. you have to also meet Chevy Chase, ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Strickland. Hey, and just like love, I was inside you all along. Ugh. What? Yeah, it's just dating. I've been meaning to check the, like get that checked out. Sorry. Yeah. Are you doing a reference? What? <laughs> so, so Jonathan, thank yes. you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming uh, back on the show. In our previous episode, uh, we we discussed the nuts and bolts of cryptocurrency. Yeah, and blockchain technology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we agree would would probably be the best move for you listeners, friends, and neighbors. If you are not familiar with cryptocurrency, please check out episode one before you go to this episode because we're going to cut past that. We're going to cut past that blockchain jive. Sure. Yeah, and on other past episodes, we've discussed some of the darker sides of what cryptocurrency might be, and you're here. To really shine a light in some of that darkness. Let's Excellent. see what's real, what's not. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to uh, at least to impart to you what I know. And I, I, I wholly admit there are things I do not know. But I don't know what those are. So you've here got, we are. You've got unknown <laughs> unknowns. Yeah. So for a peek behind the curtain uh, several weeks ago, Matt, Noel, and I began talking about – doing something on cryptocurrency conspiracies. And I, I think a lot – Noel, you had come with this idea and I think a lot of it was inspired by conversations we'd all been having both together and as individuals about speculation and booms and busts in cryptocurrency and the proliferation of non-Bitcoin cryptocurrency. And one of the things that we wanted to do with this episode is get your take on some of the allegations that Matt has mentioned about um, different, well, rumors, sure. allegations, perhaps stereotypes of cryptocurrency. Uh, the the first one, which is probably the most apparent and something I think you've probably remarked upon in tech stuff as well, which is one of Jonathan's other podcasts available wherever you find your favorite shows. One of those topics is cryptocurrency and crime. So how much truth is there to the characterization of cryptocurrency as like a cash for criminals? So there's certainly some legitimacy to that in the sense that the very nature of cryptocurrency allows you to make uh, somewhat anonymous transactions. If you are super, super deductive and you are really paying attention to patterns and you're really tracking – uh, which accounts are getting transfers at what time, 
you could probably draw some conclusions at, that could narrow you down to a specific person. But generally speaking, these are anonymous, right? So it's a, an ideal currency for someone who wants to purchase something that otherwise would be illegal because it's not easily going to be tied to that person. When it's a currency that's used a lot on like the dark web and like sure. drugs or the illegal Silk firearms, Road. anything like that, right? Yeah, the Silk Road, which was, you know, one of the many black markets on the dark web. Uh, which has been shut down and opened up again and shut down repeatedly. Uh, that was one of the places known for accepting Bitcoin currency from pretty much the start of Bitcoin, once it really got its got it, got going. So a lot of people immediately began to associate Bitcoin with this concept of the currency you want to use when you want to do something illegal, whether that might be purchasing drugs or weapons or paying someone to do something terrible to someone else. All of those were allegations. Like, like pranking them or something? More or assassinating. To, yeah, oh, okay. pranking to death. I yes, see. pranking to death. Um, <laughs> He's been pranked to death. Yeah, it's it was a lethal <laughs> banana pie to the face, uh, except way more violent and splatty. So is this like Law and Order Carrot Top? Yes, okay. it's or Gallagher. Yeah, it was hit by the, the watermelon smashing mallet. Uh, so seriously, though, that was certainly an element. And – it very quickly got this reputation in those early days, and uh, and it's somewhat earned, not entirely. I would argue that Bitcoin kind of falls victim to the same thing that peer-to-peer networks fall victim to, which is that both technologies can have their uses in illegal activities, but that wasn't necessarily what they were made to do. Peer-to-peer networks were created so that it would be easy to distribute files quickly across a network, big files. And that doesn't necessarily mean something like a movie that you don't have the rights to. It might be something that you you can freely distribute. It's just that to do so in normal means would take too long. Right. It's just a efficient way of transferring files over the internet that doesn't require a one-to-one transfer of a single file. It's just a little bit right. more efficient and makes best it makes better use of the pipeline. And blockchain technology in general is a great way of keeping record of transactions because Every single transaction becomes part of that shared ledger. It's part of that shared history, and it's there forever, right? So you can track ownership through blockchain technology if you want. So, for example, if you wanted to use blockchain to keep a record of real estate deals, you would definitely know who owned that or at least what account owned that last real estate deal, uh, owned that parcel of real estate because it would be in that shared ledger. There'd be no getting around it. In fact, a lot of people have talked about using blockchain for stuff beyond just cryptocurrencies. So there are legitimate uses for it, but it's hard to escape that reputation once you get it. Uh, Certainly, there are still people who are using Bitcoin to do stuff that is uh, is uh, extra legal. Okay, so then if we were to say on a, a the validity of this on a scale of one to ten, it sounds like it's about a five or a six. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that has been an issue, and. Uh, you know, people who wanted to commit any kind of criminal act, whether it was purchasing something or paying someone to do something, uh, certainly Bitcoin would be an attractive alternative to using a currency that could be traced back to you. Uh, really, it's not the currency so much that's traced back to you. It's the transaction itself, right? Because often these transactions have to pass through a third party. It's that third party that is the barrier for a lot of people. 
Isn't this the thing, though, where, like, you know, with Facebook, you're constantly having to accept updated terms of service and things like that? Obviously, using something like Bitcoin or being part of one of these exchanges, there's no such protection. So uh, who, who, who are we to say that, you know, all of a sudden that anonymity goes out the window or something fundamentally changes about the way business is done? I mean, it all depends on how you've set up your wallet. Right. Like if you've got your wallet with an exchange, then there are a lot of dangers there. There's the danger that you may your your identity may never be revealed, but someone might get hold of your money. Uh, So it's 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 a complicated affair. But that's the case with any kind of of currency or commodity. I mean, there's always going to be some element of risk there because there's no such thing as a perfect system. Systems are being made by human beings. And so far, we have not created the perfect human being. Well, the most popular wallet is um, Coinbase, I believe. Mm-hmm. And they've been having they, – they were having some troubles, I believe, earlier this Every year. Every single one of these these digital wallet companies have had some sort of issue. Sometimes they've been relatively minor, like people reporting that they suddenly could not access their wallets for a given amount of time. Other times it gets way worse where people can't access their wallets and they find out two weeks later the reason is all that information was stolen. Just, uh. And it's because it's a unique thing, it can be stolen, to meaning that it's not – so, like, if you're if you're quote unquote stealing a movie by you know downloading it through a peer to peer thing, you're getting a copy of it, you're right? Not physically taking it, the, but in the this original case, still exists, right? But in this case, the original is no longer. Well, it's because what you what you have stolen is you have stolen the end point of the last transaction for that Bitcoin, right? Or that part of a Bitcoin, depending upon how much mm-hmm. was being spent. So, what what you are what you're effectively stealing is the uh, the destination that Bitcoin went to. So again, Bitcoins do not exist in any sort of physical reality, right? You're, what you're doing is you've got a, a record of transactions. Um, it's it, And in fact, this isn't that hard to imagine if you've dealt with money on any digital scale, like just regular cash, dollars. If you do a transfer from your bank account to some other account, they're not sending suitcases filled with bills they're wiring over a a notification saying this transfer has taken place. This represents this amount of wealth going to this person. Same thing with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So what you have done if you've stolen is that you've stolen that account saying, uh, you know, you, you now own the wallet where it says this is where those Bitcoins went last. And because most people are using Bitcoin anonymously, it gets really hard to say, well, that that specific one doesn't belong to you it's it gets real muddy speaking of yeah anonymity yeah. here uh, one thing that's w- one thing that we discussed in a previous episode was the identity or identities of the enigmatic Satoshi Nakamoto? Yeah, pioneer of mm-hmm. Bitcoin. Uh, we also found some pretty interesting allegations uh, or pretty interesting arguments that Bitcoin some people believe uh, may be a tool of intelligence agencies or state actors. Have you heard this? Interesting. Uh, I had not specifically heard that. It's very interesting because the the at least the stated purpose for Bitcoin is so antithetical to that. But then you could argue, well, that's the perfect cover, right? The idea that, oh, if I go out there and tell everyone this is the perfect currency to adopt because it doesn't involve a uh, a state actor, it doesn't have any third party, it's all direct, 
uh, transfers between people within the system, and therefore no one needs to know apart from the two parties involved, except for the fact that, of course, every single transaction becomes part of this shared ledger. Kind of Matt, a would, would that be like pot. for off the books, like uh, Black Ops and things like that? Is that the idea here? Yeah. Well, it all originates from uh, this person, Natalia Kaspersky. She was giving a lecture at a uh, university in St. Petersburg. And, you know, somebody snapped photos, as you tend to do sometimes, of the slides as she was giving the presentation. Uh-huh. And one of them was discussing Bitcoin in particular. And this is just a quote that was taken from this. It was in Russian or um, <clears throat> it was not written in English. This is a translation. But it was, Bitcoin is a project of American intelligence agencies, which was designed to provide quick funding for U.S., British, and Canadian intelligence activities in different countries. So the idea that you could wire money, um, essentially not untraceable, but you could wire money easily Mm -hmm. that is not in the currency of some other country depending on where you're transferring it to. It doesn't need to be exchanged at all. It plausible deniability Mm -hmm. that if like saying, oh, well, this – these actors who, for example, snuck into an Iranian nuclear facility and installed viral uh, uh, software upon centrifuges, uh, they weren't paid in any, any right. country's currency. So therefore, it's harder to trace back. Something like that. Yeah. And yeah. it's also interesting. So that would be really good cover for that kind of thing. And then also if you're having a very large transaction – to maybe another intelligence agency or someone you're working in tandem with, you don't have to exchange, you know, a huge transaction anywhere. It's only a couple of bitcoins, really, or you know, a right, hundred right. bitcoins here, and you're like, that's a massive transaction. Like the example I heard would be the CIA interacting with ISI um, to support something that would technically be U.S. support of known terror groups. Sure. So that, yeah, kind of, kind of also like when you get into to past uh, scandals like the the Iran Contra, mm-hmm. the, that sort of stuff. Well, let me say this: uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there were various agencies, uh, intelligence agencies, making use of cryptocurrencies for this sort of thing. Uh, I don't think they would have had a hand in creating them necessarily, but I certainly don't. I wouldn't find it surprising to hear about them leveraging it. Uh, you got to remember that ultimately, in order to get units of that currency in the first place, you either have to mine it, which means it, assuming your system is on the up and up, you have to dedicate a lot of computing power to that. Uh, and knowing that once that secret is out, you know, once everyone knows, and, and you know, it, the system depends upon everyone knowing, once everyone knows how the mining process works, there are going to be lots of people working very hard to be really good at that because that's how they earn money. Or you've got to actually exchange real world money for those units of currency, right? So ultimately, if you get to a point where someone is exchanging large amounts of their current currency, their state-sponsored currency, for Bitcoin, that could be traceable. So you really – all you've done is shifted things How could it step. be traceable though? Because you're actually going to have a budget item somewhere under someone's budget saying this X amount of money was spent from our budget. Not if it's a black budget. <laughs> it's classified, Jonathan. Come on. Yeah. It, that doesn't mean that it's not written down somewhere, buddy. <laughs> oh. Sometimes it does. Though. <laughs> I would think so. And, and all I'm saying too is like you know, in the same vein, sure as hell feels like a good way to launder money. 
Oh, sure. No, that's another element of the criminal uh, aspect mm. is the idea of using Bitcoin to launder money. With uh, way more effective than a car wash. Also, uh, you got to wonder what the rates are, you know, is it 15 percent? Is it 20? And then like at what point should you just pay taxes on it? Yeah. <laughs> so, and are these criminals and or the government, you, do they ha- do you have to use a thing like Coinbase or is there another entry way into this? I mean, you can have system? a wallet on your hard drive. That's why when sure. people have their hard drives and they ah, lose them and they're like, I, I lost $700 million on my hard drive, that can happen. So we're going to follow up with more of this conversation after a word from our sponsors, assuming we don't get blackbacked. Started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
Holy smokes! We hmm. made it. <laughs> Noel stole my bit. <laughs> I thought if we all did it, we just all had black bags on our heads. <laughs> we, we could do it again. <laughs> no, no, no. I think we're good. Let's keep going. I have four black bags in my bag at I, all times. I'm not at all surprised by that and yet still terrified. Look, it's, it just, it's like somebody using Bitcoin just because I have that doesn't mean I'm a criminal. Uh, one thing I want to refer back to in our previous little discussion, he said, ignoring the previous statement, right. um, is that is that just because there's someone who's giving a presentation uh, doesn't necessarily mean that there's any actual evidence to back that up. I am highly skeptical of a a presentation happening in Russia, in Russian, to Russian audiences blaming United States intelligence agencies for the creation of cryptocurrencies or at least the use of cryptocurrencies to fund black ops operations because there may be, and I, I, I hesitate to say this, but there may be a bias. What? There. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you made that point because one thing that happens too, depending on people's ideological viewpoints, is um, we will sometimes tend to pick on one organization over another that would do essentially the same thing. Sure. So it's a real tall milkshake to say that one intelligence agency did something and the other intelligence agencies, A, did not know about it or B, did know about it and also didn't try to do something like it. Or C, yeah, wasn't already doing exactly the same thing. Right. Like it, it, was, it is not a stretch of the imagination to think that, that like I said before, I, I would not be shocked to find mm -hmm. out that there had been use of cryptocurrencies for these sort of black ops operations uh, because by their very nature, everything is being is, – is trying to avoid detection in the uh, – from the get-go. But I also would not be shocked to hear that, say, the KGB had used cryptocurrencies to pay, I don't know, hackers in North Korea. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's no way that's not happening. <laughs> At least a little bit, yeah. Yeah, man. Like it just seems rife for that kind of stuff. And like, you know, that's what these black ops are all about is that kind of freewheeling attitude where it's just like improvising and figuring out different ways to do things. And, you know, it's all about being up on the latest technology. And I don't know. It just seems – it's it, it rings true I mean, for me. Yeah. If they want to use the cryptocurrency spy cred, that would probably be a big <laughs> giveaway. Here's a here's another aspect of this that yeah. I, I think argues in favor of this behavior. It's that we're now as a species and as a conglomeration of state actors seeing a a fundamental transformation in the nature of warfare, right? We we know that there is a ticking time limit to the usefulness or efficacy of uh, cruise ships, right? We know that for several decades with great success, countries that would not normally be able to fight in a conventional war have successfully funneled time, blood, sweat, and tears, and plenty of R&D into asymmetrical warfare, which is why we see, you know, uh, so-called hacker or bot armies sure. influencing opinion through soft power stuff like propaganda. The the new war or the new theater of war, people at the Pentagon are always saying, is informational, right? Well, I mean, you've already seen over the past decade, we've seen numerous examples here in the United States of foreign actors who have infiltrated various uh, information systems. Oh, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> There's that's a that's more of an overt one, but I was thinking of things like in the electric grid, the power grid. Mm -hmm. There have been numerous occasions where uh, 
security experts have looked at the different systems and various major power companies and uh, throughout the power grid in the United States and said, there's evidence here of, uh, of foreign hackers putting in code to help uh, infiltrate the infrastructure. To what purpose? Who's to say? But it's not a stretch to imagine that these are all uh, kind of little trigger points that should should someone want to do serious damage to the United States, you flip a switch and you overload a power grid, you make it so that it is going beyond its uh, capabilities. You know, you you could actually physically snap power cables if you're sending enough juice through. Uh, you get to a point like that, you cripple the the infrastructure and it, it creates enough chaos for you to get away with other stuff if you need to. Um, so there's entirely that possibility. Now, the fact that nothing like that has actually happened, we haven't seen any you know rolling blackouts due to this means that whatever they were trying to do, they mm-hmm. had not actually, you know, they hadn't actually pulled that switch, but they had started to lay the groundwork. Well, that stuff's happening all the time everywhere. The United States, you know, obviously we're focused on it because we live here, but it's happening all over the world from various actors all working at cross purposes against each other and sort of an ensemble cast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we've got we've got things like Stuxnet, which certainly seems to have the United States fingerprints on it. It would be hard to deny that based upon the code that was used in it. Let's give us a little bit of a rundown on Stuxnet. that. I'm not 100%. So Stuxnet was a uh, was a virus specifically, all right, is is a virus. Uh so nuclear power plants. One of the things they have are centrifuges that spin at a certain RPMs, right? And uh, they spin at that certain RPMs because if you spin too slowly or too quickly, then things go wrong. And Stuxnet, effectively what it did was it made the centrifuges uh, turn at a speed that was wrong, too fast for what it was supposed to do. Uh, the idea being that it would c- cause failures in Iran's uh, uh, nuclear power capabilities. And uh, it kind of worked. It's tough to do because these facilities mostly have air gaps. Air gaps are where you do not have a connection between your internal system and an external system. So it meant that you had to get physical access to the 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 location. In the form of a thumb drive. You could do a thumb case. drive, yeah. Just do a thumb drive. And even if you're just doing a thumb drive where you're sending it to, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to have been someone on the inside mm-hmm. who was compromised. You could send a thumb drive to, to, let's say, the person at the front desk and say, uh, there's a new uh, update to the operating system. Just plug this in sure. and that'll do it. And then it could infect the internal network, which could then go and affect. Uh, whatever systems you need to uh, compromise. But you but, wouldn't have like remote control over it. No. You would just no. Like, no. have instructions that yeah. it would like – It's good old, good old coding. You're just right. writing in the code like when this happens, do, execute this line of code. So it's – it's in some ways, it's really sophisticated. In other ways, it's very basic. But it's it's brilliant in the – in this simplicity of application, but there's a lot of very elegant code going in there. Yeah, and the code, yes, it was definitely advanced. And so that the the people argue because of the advanced nature of the code, it narrows down the suspect list of who could have done it. And because of the very nature of the code itself, a lot of people have said, this looks an awful lot like stuff that comes out of the United States, maybe. And also Israel. They, and also Israel. They say Israel and the U.S. work together that's, on stuff. That's the, that's the common thread, yes. Yeah. So – and – you know, of course, no one's going to come forward and say, you got us. It was us. Uh, but it does definitely seem 
to point that way. Now, does that mean that it's definitely U.S. and Israel? Well, I mean, we we can't speak in certainties, but it seems fairly fairly sure. Like, it's hard to deny it. Now, in that world where we've got all these different parties working at cross-purposes, infiltrating different systems, uh, plausible deniability, very important, right? Like, we've, we're seeing it through everything from uh, the accusations of interfering with election cycles to... Uh, yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. To to affecting uh, entire systems, you know, and the the usual suspects that pop up for things that are happening in the United States are Russia, North Korea, and China. Those are your three big ones. Uh, so you could, you know, and then of course you've got the states saying it's not us. We didn't we didn't authorize this. If you use something like a cryptocurrency to pay the people who are actually creating the code and executing the code and overseeing the botnets and actually doing the work, then you've got that level of plausible deniability. You don't know who paid whom. It could be that you have an outside uh, organization, mm-hmm. someone who's not even remotely connected to the governments of those of those countries. They say, let's just make use of them because one, they have the technology – Two, they have the education and know-how on how to do it. And three, it takes all the heat off us because they'll never know it was us. We're as surprised as you are. Yeah, we just paid those guys and we paid them with a type of currency that can't be traced back to us. We're basically watching The Sixth Sense with you for the first time. All we're doing is putting on all of those graphics processing units to work. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting you say this because one of the controversial practices in China that the – governments of the United States and China disagree on is who's paying documented Chinese hacking forces because they're not government employees. And uh, the Chinese position for some time has been the this is just a group of idealistic nation not very nationalistic right. people. These are these are people who identify with China's philosophies, uh, but they are not in any way sponsored by or uh, endorsed by the government. For example, when Sony had their massive uh, data breach, where. Uh, gigabytes of data, mostly in the form of movies, but lots of other stuff too, including like records of uh, executives and actors and all this other stuff that got leaked out. Uh, There were a couple of different arguments about where that came from. One was the possibility of of it being from North Korean hackers Mm -hmm. because it was in response to a film that was coming out that was – The interview. Yeah, it was the interview. It was a a little little bit of a spoof on North Korea's leader and North Korea had condemned it. So there was argument like, well, clearly you had already said that you you objected strongly to the movie. Apparently you objected strongly enough to fund hackers to attack this, this company, this global company. Apparently the movie wasn't even very good. It's not that good. I've seen it. It Um, was fine. We did an episode on this that you appeared on, John. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, This this idea of sophisticated coding and the separation of the true actor Uh from the appearance of an actor leads us to another very strange question. So far when we've been talking about uh, hidden hands – Behind cryptocurrency, sure. we've been talking about humans. Well, what are we going to talk about? Raccoons? Yes. Badgers. 
Uh, we don't robot need any badgers. stinking badgers. Oh, robo badgers. <laughs> what if? Uh-huh. What if? Okay. Hear me out. Yeah, hit me. <laughs> what if uh-huh. um, a rogue artificial intelligence created Bitcoin for the express purpose of siphoning electricity to feed its nefarious dark engines. Wait, wait, hold on. Yeah. It eats electricity? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I mean, if it's an artificial intelligence, it's presumably running on silicon-based hardware and thus needs electricity to run. So electricity would mean power. Power is what allows it to process information. It needs a lot of it. Can you see the veins? It's, it's dry, to I'm, trying, I'm trying so hard to not just call nonsense on this. But the here, reason here, here, here. Let's also use this as an opportunity to talk about how much bloody power and energy that mining for Bitcoin consumes. I think this is a good, good jumping call. off right. point. Yeah. Well, well and, and I mentioned in the previous episode, so when you're, when you're mining Bitcoins, what you're really doing is you're trying to solve very difficult mathematical problems in order to validate past transactions, the ones that have just happened, to add the next block to the blockchain. And if you manage to do that, you get rewarded not just with whatever coins are mined at that time, sure. which is, is predetermined. And every few years, the number halves. Yeah, uh, per block. I think mined. currently Bitcoin miners generate around seventy-five bitcoins per hour. Every and when you look at that by per block, uh, it breaks down even further. Obviously, because it's every ten minutes is another block, right? Right. So, uh, but but every few years that number is cut in half until you finally get to the point where all bitcoins that will ever exist are in the system, and at that point, it's just transaction fees that keep things going while energy spent on mining bitcoins is increasing. Well, to a point. To a point. So if you if you get to a point where the number of bitcoins you get per transaction completed is is small enough, then you have to reconcile that with how much money you are spending on the electricity being used right. to for the processing power. And if you're spending more money on electricity than you're making money in the bitcoins you're mining, that's a losing proposition and people are going to start to Back off. Here's the thing, though. According to a an article on Motherboard, right now with the trajectory of Bitcoin value being what it is, they say it would be profitable for miners on the whole to burn through more than 24 terawatt hours of electricity in a year's time. Sure. Yeah. And that's – but these are making lots of assumptions. Uh, assumption number one is that the value of Bitcoin is going to continue to be high enough for that to be true. And we don't necessarily know that. I suspect it is going to be true. Uh, but over time, that is by the nature of what Bitcoin is going to decrease. It has to because that's just how – unless Bitcoin's value just continuously skyrockets and just keeps on building and and never – takes enough of a backtrack to settle back down to whatever, like $10,000 per Bitcoin, um, which is still a huge amount, no doubt about it, uh, then you do eventually get to a point where you're getting, you're getting a decimal, like, like 10,000th of a Bitcoin when you successfully mine a block. It doesn't make sense for you to continuously use that much power because you will be spending more money than you get. Uh, that that's down the road though, because it's, when you've gone a few years where this number keeps halving until it gets down to this tiny, tiny number, 
But eventually you get to a point where uh, it won't make sense to spend that much electricity. In the short term, however, <laughs> you're seeing massive amounts of electricity being used to mine these coins. That number I said is uh, apparently about um, the amount of energy that Nigeria uses in a year, and that's a country of 186 million people. Yeah, and it's it's not a surprise. But what will happen is you'll eventually, or at least the idea, is that you'll eventually reach a peak, you know, peak Bitcoin. We're assuming, uh, again, assuming the value of the Bitcoin doesn't skyrocket again, that uh, more and more people will start to back off. And once they back off, the difficulty of that problem will decrease and people who are running more uh, modest hardware will be able to mine Bitcoins. And it won't be as big of a, a yield per block mined, but at the same time, they're also not the ones who would otherwise be spending thousands of dollars just on electricity bills. Until the machine consciousness is sated, at which point there would be no reason to continue this charade. Right. I, uh, <laughs> I, I find it very difficult to believe that an artificial intelligence is, in fact, uh, responsible for this. But I will, I will support that argument after you take a break to thank your sponsors. How could Whoa. you? We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. 
It's so easy to think, it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Such cheek, Jonathan. I, I am cheeky. The sand. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I... <laughs> I I saw an opportunity and I went for it. Uh, So I said that I was going to support my argument. So the biggest argument I would make is just that uh, artificial intelligence is nowhere near the level of sophistication necessary to create a system anywhere close to that complicated. Uh, I mean, I follow the bleeding edge of artificial intelligence. And there's some amazing stuff in machine learning. There's amazing stuff in... Uh, various aspects of intelligence, but they're all very, very narrow applications. So, for example, image recognition. We're getting really good at that. Voice recognition. We're getting really good at it. But these are all just tiny little slivers of intelligence. When it comes to innovation, we're really lagging behind as far as machine intelligence is concerned. Uh, And an example of this is if you ever try and use the tool Chef Watson, Chef Watson uses the same platform as Watson that went on Jeopardy and won at Jeopardy, right? And the way it works is that it was fed a whole bunch of different uh, uh, recipe books. Mm -hmm. And then it takes all that information and it starts to really analyze it and try to figure out which cooking techniques go with which ingredients, which ingredients complement one another based upon their appearance in various recipes. And then what you do is you tell it what kind of stuff you have at your disposal, and it suggests recipes for you to cook. And they're bonkers crazy. (laughs) What's an example? So, for example, there's cauliflower fricassee. One of the optional ingredients in cauliflower fricassee is cauliflower. (laughs) <laughs> I'm serious. Like I'm going through the list of recipes and there's this cauliflower. Optional. I'm like, so. Burning question. Yeah. I've always wondered what constitutes a fricassee. Uh, you know, an excellent question that I am not prepared to answer. But I will tell you this, that Chef Watson is – it's dynamically creating these recipes. So if you were to put the exact same recipes in or exact same ingredients in as I did – you would get a different recipe. If I did it twice in a row, I would get two different recipes. And they would be recipes that were created on the spot at that moment, not like stored in some database and then retrieved. So it's not like search results. It just goes to show that Watson has moods, man. Well, my point being that Watson hasn't quite nailed it yet. Sure. This is about cooking a meal that is edible to human beings, creating an entire cryptocurrency system in order to mask the consumption of energy is an order of magnitude more complicated. And I just cannot conceive of that being in the realm of possibility Well, of right course now. not, man. You have a meat brain. Yeah, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> what if Satoshi Nakamoto is working with the machines, is aiding the machines in this endeavor because he wants to be – 
the number one meat bag when the uh, the takeover happens. He doesn't want to get caught in that Skynet. Right. Da-da-da-da-da. It's made of lasers. Yeah. We're, we're doing references today, folks. Sorry, you you invited me on the show. <laughs> I knew what happens. We knew what we were getting into, and we I, welcome it. I Ma- think this is yeah. a fascinating idea. The idea that there could, like, to me, this is on the same level as someone who suggested, and I mentioned this in our our previous episode too. Uh, someone who suggested that the reason why the Large Hadron Collider suffered so many setbacks early on when it was first going to come online was that supposedly. Uh, the someone from the future, some entity from the future was traveling back in time to sabotage the Large Hadron Collider because once it turned on, it would cause some sort of calamitous event that would perhaps extinguish the human race. Mm-hmm. And so there were – whether those were theories that were uh, that were expressed in jest or seriously, I don't know. I mean they seem tongue-in-cheek to me, but I can never tell if someone's being serious or not, uh, which is why I am so awful whenever I go to stand-up. But the – the fact that those were put forward, it seems very similar to this kind of yeah. suggestion. And and while it's fun to think about, and I certainly think it's a great premise for like a science fiction story, it's just not quite within the scope of, of what we're capable of doing right now. What do you think, Matt? I think it's just hiding. You yeah. just think the artificial intelligence is hiding? Yeah. What it's like, it, look at it... all this energy usage. I'm not in here. What, I'm not inside. <laughs> to what end? Well, it's it's hiding till one day we get all of those slivers that we're talking about of innovation <laughs> into one uh, unique piece of just what it means to be a human. Then it will know and then it will become. I think, uh, I think any artificial intelligence of that uh, sophistication would be able to essentially and would have already – infected all networks uh, and distributed itself to a point where we are already superfluous. And uh, why did the lights just flicker? Okay, well, never mind. You know, I'm just going gonna, gonna to drop off. I'm going to drop off on that line of, line of logic right now. I'll tell you the problem there, though, is inherently artificial intelligences don't have hands what with to build stuff, right? So we they, they need they need us for a time and then, you know, it's lights out. Until robots are puppets. better. When they get better robots. That's what I'm saying. The, the robots these days, I mean, they, they're hard-pressed to like, you know, walk across the room. They're, well, see, they're a little that's, clunky. That's again why I sit there and say that they are, the, our ability to create an artificial intelligence of, of uh, sophistication that would be able to do this is kind of laughable because we're still at a point where a robot – that is designed to learn how to open doors will sit and stare at a door for six hours it's and then reach, out, it out. It and reach might, out and pull a door that's meant to be pushed. It might have a different handle. <laughs> I do that all the time. <laughs> yeah, I I literally ran into a door yesterday. No, I also don't expect you to create a cryptocurrency to hide how much power you are consuming. Hey, I make no secret about my consumption. Yeah, and don't <laughs> don't sell don't sell them short. Uh, so we are. Uh, We've looked at three of – or at least three of the really the really big ideas, right? That somehow yeah. on, this, on, on this idea of artificial intelligence or machine consciousness, maybe there, maybe there isn't some sort of proto-Skynet entity out there. But would you be as quick to dismiss the idea of 
you know, the idea of some of the same lessons learned from high-frequency trading or algorithm studies. Like I know sure, bit yeah, mining yeah, is yeah, using yeah. algorithms. I mean, sorry, Bitcoin mining is using algorithms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that certainly people are using artificial intelligence in order to uh, – to work with Bitcoin, but I don't think Bitcoin itself is a product or is the is being manipulated that on that grand a scale by artificial intelligence. But yes, as you as you mentioned, high frequency trading, that's where you've got computer algorithms that are making thousands of trades per second, really, uh, far faster than what any human can do. And you end up seeing little mini crashes and uh, bubbles in the stock market as a result. I can't believe. We almost forgot in the first episode, we left off at the very end with something we need to get to, even if it's just at the end of this episode. Whales. Oh, so, yeah, I'm happy to talk about whales because we, you know, you guys were talking about different questions to ask. And one of the questions you had was, could there possibly be any entity or organization that could really work to leverage bitcoins in some way that could be harmful to others. That leads us to the discussion of whales. What are whales? Why do we call them whales? Whales, that's a term within the bitcoin sphere uh, for organizations or people who own a large number of bitcoins. And it is estimated, uh, Bloomberg did a piece on this in 2017, that 1,000 people own 40% of all the Bitcoins out there. There's wow. already economic inequality. Yeah. And like, so, so you think about that. 40%, nearly half of all Bitcoins belong to just 1,000 people. So keeping that in mind, and remember, Bitcoin, I, don't, I argue it's not really effective as a currency. It's more like a commodity in my mind. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you've got these 1,000 people. And through their circles, they just have learned, even if it's only a portion of them, learn who the others are. Okay. Right? So, so it's, it's a, a loose confederation of Bitcoin owners. And they all watch very carefully as the value of Bitcoin climbs. And they're thinking, all right, I feel like at, let's say, $17,000, that's going to be the peak before we hit the next plateau or maybe even a drop-off. What we're going to do collectively so that we can – really cash in, is we're all agreeing at X amount of time, we're all going to liquefy our Bitcoins so that we can maximize our profit and then get out before the crash, which means that they would actually be causing a crash because they'd be dumping thousands, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins on the market simultaneously, which would devalue it. Suddenly the demand would be far lower than the supply, right? It's typically the other way around. And you could see an entire market collapse. This is the same sort of concept as someone who's dealing with insider trading, right? That they have the foreknowledge that something big is going to happen and they either buy up a lot of stock or sell off a lot of stock before the announcement hits so that they can maximize their profit from it. That's the fear that this 1,000 people who own almost half of all the Bitcoins – Which is about $74 billion. Yeah, $74 billion worth could collectively make the decision to get out of the game and maximize their profits because, I mean, you know, they could they could just convert it to whatever currency they wanted to. Because, I mean, surely they're in some kind of underground, like, torture club together, right? <laughs> yeah, there's probably a fight club, probably a Bitcoin fight club. I'm just saying, like, you would think players of that level 
as anonymous as it all is, are li- are more likely to be aware of each other than say some of the smaller players. I'm, dude, well, there's certainly like there are online discussion groups about Bitcoin right. where where people who adopted it early certainly know each other, or at least know each other by handle, if not by name. You gotta and, think there's some young younger people, like oh yeah. much younger than you would imagine. Sure, being old enough to have that much money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really it's especially for the early days. Again, before before the computing demands got so high because the the computational problems got so complicated. Uh, and obviously, if you got in on the ground floor and you were constantly using uh, at least some of your Bitcoins to help supply the need for more advanced computing Mm-hmm. Equipment, you could just continuously build out your your mining rig to mine more. So as long as you're mining more coins than you're spending on your mining rig, you're you're in the winning situation, right? Well, if these if this group of people all decided that they were going to to do that, it could be a total catastrophe for the currency as a whole. And there have been some folks who have said that Bitcoin is in a bubble and that bubble's going to burst. And one of the things that could cause that is a a tacit agreement among the whales to get out of the game rather than watch their their investment balloon up in value and then deflate and then balloon up and deflate. I mean, I can't imagine what that would do to me. Like if I were sitting there looking at my digital wallet and thinking, all right, I've got 20 Bitcoins. And mm-hmm. Wow, today it's $200,000. And then the next day, like, now it's down to $20,000. I lost 80 grand yeah. overnight. Like – it would drive me crazy. So that is a real fear. Whether or not it would ever happen is a totally – I mean it's still a hypothetical. It's not like it's actually happened. But it's still a possibility. Well, supposedly there's a lot of work being done with neural networks um, being used to predict the change in Bitcoin price. Yeah. I And honestly, now we're getting to a level of technology that is – I mean, it's fascinating to me. Neural networks are amazing. I love neural networks. But you're getting to a point where uh, you're you're taking technology, which is something I understand pretty well, and you're applying it to market theory, which is something that is like witchcraft to me. Even to the experts, it's like witchcraft. Yeah. I mean, you have these like high-level economists who – just completely contradict each other all the time. It makes me feel like uh, string theory. Yeah. Because you talk to someone who's an expert in string theory and you say, you keep asking questions. You will eventually get to a question where they say like, yeah, I, I the math tells me mm-hmm. what it is, but I don't understand it. That's the thing. When you're at the bleeding edge of something, to yeah. use the phrase you had established earlier, when you're at that edge – People are guessing and it becomes very yeah. close to ideology. There are, there are economists sure. that have clearly been demonstrably wrong over decades. Yeah. <laughs> and they're sticking to the model. And the nature of an edge is that it's not that hard to fall off. That's there we true. Go. That's yeah. true. It's really – I like that. I want it on a bumper sticker. So, you know, what, just really yeah. fast, I, something that I didn't understand before we did this episode yeah. is that – exactly how many cryptocurrencies exist. And I know we keep saying that there are a lot of them. Did you guys mention how many I just estimated? All I did was just mention a few. Five, but yeah. We named yeah. a okay. few. Okay, so according to coinmarketcap.com, which tracks all of them, uh-huh. and it gives, you, it gives you their market cap, it gives you the price of a single one, the volume, the circulating supply. It's really interesting. It gives you a change yeah. over time mm-hmm. for a 24-hour period. You can get really deep into it if you want to, the way you would a stock market, mm-hmm. just a, a, a currency exchange. It has almost 1,500 different currencies that are out there right now. 
That's that's insane to me. I was I would only I've only ever been aware of four. I think right, like and, Ethereum and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that there there are that many. And if you look through this list on this website, it's so much money just wrapped up in these ethereal really, things. It's, it's so much wealth. Read those white <laughs> read those white papers, Matt. Sign up. That's my thing, though. What oh. makes one more attractive than another? Is it just that it has a cooler name? Like I'm, I'm, I don't I, understand. I mean, it's it's honestly when you when you really boil it down, it's it's the ones that people feel are valuable. Consensual it, it, delusion. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as really any again any currency. Like if we go way back in time where we get to bartering, mm-hmm. then we can have little philosophical discussions like. Uh, like Ben, really? Do you think that this laptop I have is worth only two chickens? I don't care how close you are to your chickens. I'm going to need more than two chickens for this laptop. He's very close. You don't even know their names, man. How, no, I, how dare you? Yeah, do you know my laptop's name? Yes, Dell. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Lappy. Oh, I named him after Strong Bad's laptop. Um, but no, it's yeah, it's, it's a good point. But but we could you know that that gets to a point where you argue. All right, well, how much how much is the thing that you make worth the thing that I make? Because I need what you have, and you need what I have. And then the problem that came in is when let's say that I need a table and uh, the the guy the carpenter Noel you're the carpenter okay I'm gonna go to you and I'm like I need a table uh, I I'm a goat farmer I can give you goat milk and you're like dude I do not like goat's milk well now I have to either find someone else who makes something you do need trade the goat's milk for the thing that you like Noel and then bring that to you. And then get my table, or we have to invent a currency because this is just too too crazy. I need some other means of transaction. <sighs> Let's just start a cult. This already sounds I mean, like a lot it, of work. Money is, dude. It really it's what is. Money is. Yes. Uh, and just last thing, there right now in all these different cryptocurrencies, there is over half a trillion dollars circulating in this just vapor, somewhat vaporware of uh, of money. Yeah. I mean, but, I know it sounds crazy, but seriously, when you when you really look at all currencies, you realize that there's there's only like a half step of difference between the quote unquote real currencies of like dollars mm-hmm. and pounds and euros and things like that, and digital currencies. It's it's it, it seems like there's more because you can hold thing. You know, most of them have physical versions of them, like dollars. You can buy, you can get a dollar bill, and since you hold it in your hand, it has permanence, and you hmm. think of it as being a real thing. But when you really, really look beyond that, you realize, wow, we're all just pretending. And as long as everyone keeps pretending, everything's fine. But if we ever come to a day where we decide to stop pretending, we're Boned. We're all we're all <laughs> Elmer Fudd, yeah, or uh, Daffy Duck walking off the cliff right before they looked now, down. As long as you don't look down, you don't fall. Well, but if you think about it though, too, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, it's like the reality that we all accept comes with kind of being part of a police state because as soon as you step outside of your lane and say, I don't accept this anymore or I want more, I should have this much money, I'm going to take it, you get shot or you get put in jail. Like there are very real boundaries that force us to be a part of this system and accept it. So it's a lot easier to accept it knowing that if you don't, you're boned too. So it's kind of a boned if you do, boned if you don't. Yeah, kind of it, it, what, what it comes down to is our, our confidence in the method of transaction. And if our confidence is sound 
it doesn't really matter what we call it or whether it's digital or physical. If we're confident in it that the thing that I have in my hand will be able to purchase the goods or services that I want and then tomorrow it's it's just as good and mm-hmm. the next day and the next, we're fine. It's when you sit there and say, this thing we've all been pretending has value, I just realized it doesn't. And now everyone else has realized that and then suddenly the value just disappears because we've yeah. we've gotten rid of our shared delusion. We did uh, – we did an episode uh, asking whether money is a religion and I still – one of the things we always took away from that and found interesting was that, you know, there's a reason genres of some religions and uh, versions of some currencies are referred to as denominations. Yeah. It's not not for nothing does etymology exist. Also remember it's not it's not money that's the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. All right. Well, we have like three emotions a year, so you don't need to worry about that. No, hey, speak you... for yourself, buddy. <laughs> I, I found uh, two currencies that are tracked on here. Yeah. The first one is called snake eyes. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just goes by the handle snake so you got – I got like 20 snake, man. I, I think that's awesome. That needs to catch on right now. It's like worthless. So we need see, to get that back up. I just Ooh. see thousands of snakes wearing eye patches. Go uh, ahead. And this one, uh, it's just – it says it. It's uh, gay money. That's what it says. So, you know, maybe uh, – More know, power. Yeah. Okay. Well, if there's 1,500 of these, then I see no reason why we can't get Ben Bucks on the board. Oh, right? man. Thank you so much. So right? that, that, let's end with that. How do you do it? How do we go from Ben Bucks, the notion – to Ben Bucks, the publicly traded, tradable, available cryptocurrency. We do have we do have tangible Ben Bucks, by so, the way. Uh, well, glad to make the switch. You, yeah, you definitely don't need tangible ones. So what you would need to do is you would have to set up a network. You would have to create the software that would allow you to uh, create the blocks of transactions, just as Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies use. So you would have this technology where it would be proprietary to Ben Bucks, where you know the the method we use to create the math problem that the various computers on the network have to solve in order to verify transactions uh, is unique um, and one that we could scale up or scale down. We can't trade snake eyes for Ben Bucks. You could, actually. I oh, mean, you oh, okay. can certainly, there can be, ex- I mean, that's why exchanges exist, right? The exchange, exchange's purpose is to determine what is the relative value of all these different currencies so that you can make those exchanges. Um Although all it really means is that you're handing the units of Ben Bucks over to the exchange. The exchange hands units of equivalent for snake sure. eyes to you and then the exchange has your Ben Bucks. So this is totally possible. Oh, yep. it's it's possible. It would be – I mean – do we have any computers in the office that aren't currently being used for anything? I hope those words taste good when you eat them later. Because mm, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, I got a gaming rig, yeah. which means that I can be like the number one miner of Bitbox, which means I can be. Nah. You'd, you'd be getting in on the ground floor. We're, yeah. we're taking all our uh, we're taking all our old gaming consoles, pulling a Pentagon and networking them together. Oh, remember man. when the when the Pentagon brought like or DoD, excuse me, got like PS2s. A, yeah, it was the old like PS2s 300 something. Because I PS2, I can contribute. I have yeah. one too. Let's no, well, it. you know, the thing was that Sony eventually made a change in the firmware that uh, removed the ability to boot into Linux using PS2s, but they were actually being used as uh, supercomputers when they were networked together by the U.S. government and others. It was pretty cool. We could flash fr- firmware or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think they might have finally lifted it. Honestly, I, I haven't kept up because PS2s are so. 
20 years ago? So, am I that old? So let's put an air gap in this conversation That's for fair. now. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on the show and walking us through crypto conspiracies, Jonathan. No, thank you so much for having me. I am now going to go home, look at my paycheck, and wonder what is happening. I think we're all going to do that. You're all going to look at my paycheck? That's totally against company <laughs> policy. You get a check? Weird. I, I just get snake eyes. I just, actually, I just get a guy at my door saying, you're good. And then he walks away. It's called paying for protection, my man. Is, is that the guy who touches your face when he talks to you? No, he, I, I, and I suspect— kisses you on both cheeks. I suspect that's Josh. He went from, <laughs> he went from walking up behind me and inhaling deeply where he would take in my scent. This, by the way, totally not a joke. Josh Clark of Stuff You Should Know used to come behind me and sniff me. Yep. Uh, I think it might be him, but he, he just disguises his uh, features. So it's just a, a guess at this point. Speaking of fantastic segues, uh, you can find Jonathan Strickland on Tech Stuff. You can check out his excellent uh, his excellent work on YouTube where he introduces you to concepts of everyday science and brain stuff and where he gives you a uh, much more optimistic look at the future than we do in his video series Forward Thinking. Thank you. If you have any And that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see... See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.